next couple weeks, uh, last week and, and next week, uh, we are talking about something that is uh, a big deal in our culture, in our world, about uh, sexuality, about how you know right from wrong. And uh, the other day we were watching a video of our family from Disney World. We went, and it was, it was a while ago. It was probably, uh, you know, the kids were in, in elementary school and whatever. And I just, as I'm watching the video, just one of those things that would have never mean it, meant anything to me now means something to me. I'm watching the video, and as we're walking down Main Street or whatever, I have the camera, and the boys, and they're both pretty small, the boys just kind of gravitate towards Dana, and she grabs both of their hands in there, and they're walking down the Main Street, and there's people all around or whatever, and now that would be weird, you know? You got the 20-year-old and the 18-year-old like walking down Main Street with holding hands with their mom. It'd be a little bit strange. People are like, what's that all about? But back then, it was natural. It was normal. It was what we did whenever we got in a crowd, right? Like, I... I don't know where they, they're going. They don't know where they're going. I got to make sure that they stay with me. And sometimes I think, you know, I get very hesitant um, as, as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, or even as a friend to dive into a lot of uh, hotbed topics about what's going on in our culture, in our world, because I think there's some, there's some enemy strategy here to divert us into things. But I also think this, to me, the picture of, of Dana with the two boys is a picture of what our church is for us. It's one of those places where we, there's all kinds of swirl going on around us and who knows where we're going, but we're going to do it together and let's make sure we're together. And so to me, this topic is one of the ones that I wanted to dive in. I felt prompted to dive into because everything that swirls around us has so much disinformation and misinformation. And for us as believers, it can start to sound like We've heard and we know the truth when we've never really dug into what does God say about this and what's our responsibility as believers. And so as I talk today, I recognize that today's topic about immorality um, is going to be something that maybe there are some of you who are either have a history of some of these behaviors or are currently involved in these behaviors. And so let me just disclaimer this up front. First of all, if you are not a believer, if you're at our church today and you're a guest or you've been a part of our church, but you've never come to that place where you've given your soul to Jesus Christ, I am not asking you to change your life. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus and then follow him. That's what we're doing. We're just following Jesus. So I'm not saying you're, you're disallowed if, if this is not you or if you're involved in this or whatever. I'm just saying the worst thing that you could get from this is that I'm telling you just to do the right thing because you'll be just as lost doing the right thing as you are doing the wrong thing without Jesus. So my heart for you is to know Jesus. Now, if you are a believer, maybe the stuff we talk about today you've never heard before. Maybe it's stuff that's never occurred to you. You've never dug into it. You've never been in a place where they talked about this or when you did hear it talked about, it was talked about with an agenda instead of just looking at the word of God. I'm not here today to try to put a mark of shame or guilt on you. I know churches do that and I know it kind of can feel like that, especially as we talk about this. But what I'm trying to do as your pastor is simply be honest about what's in the word of God. And ask you to respond to the Spirit. So if there's something that we talk about today that needs to change for you, and I'm pretty sure for most of us there are things that need to change in this realm, then I'm just inviting you to do that. To give your life to Christ, to walk and follow Him, to say, I'm going to be more fully a follower of Jesus as I go forward from this day. Because here's the reality for our world and for every one of us. My mind goes to John 10 where Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. I take care of my people. I watch over them. And if one of them gets lost, I go and get them and bring them back. I take care of my people. And then he says this, 
The thief doesn't take care of you. And he's talking about our enemy. He's talking about satanic forces and Satan himself. And he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we have tasted it, haven't we? The destruction that the enemy wants to stir up in our lives. In this topic, in this realm, in our world, the enemy has a stronghold. And he is ruining people and breaking hearts and downgrading people's lives every single day. And many of them are believers. Many of them are people in high school, people who are newly married, people who have been married a long time but find themselves bored. And he is ruining people's lives. So today I want to speak the truth, but I really am asking you to look to the Spirit about what to do, what needs to change in your mindset and or in your actions according to the Word of God today. Because there's a pretty stark difference between what our culture believes about sexuality and even about what our culture believes about humans and what Christians think and believe by faith. I mean, here's the deal. Are we just glorified animals? Do we just serve our appetites like the animal kingdom? Are we instinct-driven people that evolved from something else into what we see today and therefore we are just glorified animals who are just more intelligent, kind of like dolphins or whatever, right? Is that what we are? Is that what our highest goal is, our highest good? And is sex just a biological experience with no deeper meaning or consequence? These are questions that you have to answer in how you view this topic. I'll give you a couple of things that are happening right now, and most of these have dramatically shifted since the year 2000 by 10 or 20 or 30%. These are currently this year, survey this year, of the percentage of people in America who consider these activities to be morally acceptable. These things are fine according to this percentage of people in America today. All right? Sex between unmarried man and woman. Seven out of 10 people believe that that is morally acceptable. So, give you a sense. If, if our auditorium represents humanity, three of these sections believe that's fine. One believes, no, that's not okay. That's, what, that's the mindset of our world today. The use of pornography, over one-third of people consider it morally acceptable. It's fine to use pornography. Sex between teenagers, again, over one-third. Polygamy, marrying more than one partner. Almost one out of five people believe that that is morally acceptable, that that is fine. Married men and women having an affair, one out of 10 people believe that that's fine. 25% of married individuals have an affair in America today. 25%, one out of four. And I can tell you from this side, from, from watching, from from walking alongside, from experiencing it, that's wrecking. We talk about steal, kill, and destroy. That's wrecking. There is no hope down the path of an affair. There is no hope down the path of another love. All it does is produce pain, and the enemy loves to multiply it. Right now, 80% of men in America, and 25% to 30% of women describe themselves as addicted to pornography right now in America. Eight out of 10, four out of five men, and one out of four women. Now, most people, 
In contrast, most people want to have someone as their partner for life. They long to live in a loving and trusting relationship as long as they're on this earth. Most people, yet more and more people aren't finding that. And people aren't connecting the dots. And I'm saying believers, do we? More and more people are not finding that lifelong love, that happily ever after, so to speak. That person that they can be with from now until the end. More and more people aren't finding that. Statistics show right now, people are hesitating to take that step of marriage. They prefer to live together without that long-term commitment. And those who do get married after living together, believe it or not, increase their chance of getting divorced by 40%. Oh, we're so smart, aren't we? Doesn't it just make sense to live together to see if you're compatible before you get married? Yeah, well, statistics today tell you if you do that, you've increased your chance of divorce by 40%. And your chance of divorce already is 50%. Those who do get married, half of them, only half of them survive for 20 years. The greatest percentage of divorces happen within the first five years. Overall, marriages in the U.S. last an average of 8.2 years. Happily ever after. Boy, we are so good at this sex stuff, aren't we? We got it all figured out. Something is really wrong here. And I'm not being flippant just to be flippant. I'm saying to you, something is really wrong here. And what we've done as a culture is we've doubled down on lies, doubled down on ideals and ideas that don't take us where they say they will take us. And more and more heartbreak is stirred up. We have people who are more lonely than ever before. Suicide rates are accelerating. People who are uh, turning to addiction more and more. People who are more confused. People who are more hurt than ever before. So believers, I'm asking Where are we on this? Do we know the truth? Do we walk in the truth? Do we have hope to offer people? Do you assume that what you hear and what you think and what you feel is healthy and normal? And have you compared that to the Lord of your life, Christian? I'm not asking you to impose what you think is right on anyone else. I'm asking you, what are you going to do about this? If you genuinely call yourself a Christian, Jesus is the Lord of your life. Is he in charge of this or not? How much are you influenced by a philosophy that leads to those horrible statistics? How much of that has seeped into you? So I just want to give you a sampling. There is no way we can go through all that the Word of God says on this topic, but I want to give you a little sample of what God has to say about this through the people that have written in the Word of God and about how we as Christians are to behave sexually, what is right and what isn't right. It isn't surprising that people who don't trust God, that don't follow God, would act without caring what God thinks. But we're not those people, right? Church family, we are the people of God. So we should care, and we do care, and we need to dig into this. So I want to say before I get into bouncing around, and we don't normally bounce around in Scripture, but I'm uh, trying to just give you a little bit of a sense that this is not an uh, isolated d- discussion in Scripture. This is pervasive throughout Scripture, this discussion. But before I do that, I just want to say, we began this topic last week. 
And last week, I tried to go through foundations, viewpoints, the ways that Christians process information in this world and specifically in this zone. So if you're without that, you you might be a little bit like, well, we're jumping into the middle here. And we kind of are on purpose because last week we did some groundwork. So I would invite you to listen online or to get a CD and catch up. So you can feel like you have the context for the stuff. So I'm going to build off of that this week. Next week, we're going to talk about LGBTQ issues for believers. How do we sort through that stuff? But today I want to look at this topic. And and basically the topic I, I titled today, Follow Your Heart. It's a way that we talk about you should do what makes you happy. You should do what you want. You should chase your desires. You have the right, even in the, the Declaration of Independence, to the pursuit of happiness. And so we idealize that as though, and and our humanity agrees with us, that somehow if I could just have what I want, I would be okay. We live in a world that lives by lust. We live in a flesh that wants to live by lust. The word lust in the word of God simply means desires. Specifically, the desires of your humanity. The word itself can be either good or bad. A hunger, you know, I'm, I'm hungry because I haven't eaten. That's a lust. That's a human desire. It's a physical need. It could be good or bad. Sometimes people, you know, just have a regular healthy need for food, and sometimes they have an unhealthy need for food, right? So it's not always a moral judgment, but usually in the Word of God, when you read it in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it's used to refer to desires that you should control or you should deny, Deny, in other words, desires that should not be in charge in your life. That's kind of the idea of lust. And so our human mindset doesn't go with that. Our human mindset is not one of self-denial. If you are human, you know that I'm speaking the truth. Your humanity does not go, you know, what can I give up today? How long can I wait until I have what I want? Your, human, your humanity says to you, if you could just have what you want now, your life would be so much better. The alarm clock goes off in the morning and it's time to get up out of bed. And you have this discussion in your head of, I don't feel like getting up. What's even going on? Why, why is it so dark? Right? You're just kind of like, uh. and you have this fight with your own body about, it's time to get up. I don't want to get up, but it's time to get up. And I can't see, I can't focus on anything. And I'm tripping over toys. And so you're having a fight with your own humanity as you try to get up out of bed. We know, and your body doesn't go, well, it's okay. We're in this for the long haul. Your body just screams at you. Why are you making me unhappy? Why can't you have more sleep? You would be so much better off if you could just have whatever you want. Except there are things where we don't want you to live by your desires. Because if you're really, really mad at someone, you feel like you should kill them. Well, I, I know you think that would make you happy, but as a society, we say you're, you can't do that. Right? You, you, even sexually, we say there are things that are out of bounds. You know, you, you can't, we see this all the time now in the, in the news, you know, people who are arrested for child pornography and things, and they say, oh, you, it doesn't... You should have your appetites fulfilled, but there are some appetites that you shouldn't have fulfilled. And so it becomes this nebulous, vague thing where we have this idea of stepping on other people's rights or making them unhappy, but sometimes we don't really make that clear. And ultimately, if your hope is in listening to the philosophy of the world, you're going to find yourself in the same place that leads to all those statistics. Devastation in your soul. 
And we've already decided we're not following the world. We've already decided we're following God. So 1 Thessalonians 4 has, to me, one of the plainest passages on this topic. And I just want to go through this passage. I want to read it to you. I want to make some comments on it. And then I want to show you some other things. All right? So here's what 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul writes to this group of people in Thessalonica. And he says, basically, what is God's will for a Christian? How should we live? Here's what it says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. Now, I, don't, I probably don't even have to make any comments on that. It's so blunt and plain. But I wonder how pervasive that is in your life, in church, in Christianity. I don't know that you know, we've seen dramatic shifts in people's behavior, but we have seen dramatic shifts in people's attitudes. And so what I'm saying to you, believers, family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it is God's will for you to be sanctified. What does that word mean? The word sanctified means to be pure, to be clean, to be set apart from what is wrong. And then he goes on to tell us what this sanctification, why he brings that up. It's because of sexual immorality. But what he's saying is, it is God's will for you to be set apart from things that are wrong. And what he means by that is, you are forgiven as a believer. Your sins have been washed away. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he washes your soul clean, you become a child of God, and nothing can ever take you out of his hand. Thank the Lord for his faithfulness and his love and his grace. But just because you are forgiven doesn't mean you were called to live, go back and live by your lusts. You are then set free from your sin. And you should live like you were set free from your sin. Some of you are living stuck in sin. And the reason you're living stuck in sin is because you think like a slave, you talk like a slave, and so you act like a slave. But Jesus Christ has set you free. You have been set apart. You have been sanctified. And that means pure. That means clean. That means the stuff that is wrong is gone or moving out of your life. In this methodology of sanctified, in this instance, what he says is to abstain from sexual immorality, that you should avoid it, that you should walk away from it. We are told to hold ourselves back. We are told to walk away from sexual immorality. There are other passages in the Word of God where we're told to run from it. Because of the danger, because of the wreckage that comes from it, we are told to get away from it. So if you're wondering, you know, I, here I am, I'm, a, I'm a, a young person and I've fallen in love with this person and, you know, what should I do about it? Well, here's what God's will is for you, to be sanctified and to avoid, to abstain from sexual immorality. This is your calling. You're a married person and your marriage isn't all that it's cracked up to be, but there's somebody else that's really, what's God's will? Why would God give me these feelings? Listen, you have a choice. 
You can live by your desires or you can live by faith, but you can't live by both. One of them will take you to destruction and the other one will take you to life. As a believer, you already know which is which. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And so sexual immorality, we are supposed to hold ourselves back from it. We are supposed to deny our desires. I talked last week about fallen humanity. Every single person has sexual desires that are illegitimate to carry out. Every single person. And God's call for every single one of us is to deny those sexual desires. Really? Doesn't God want me to be happy? See how fast we buy in? Is it unclear? What I just read, is that unclear what God's will is for you? And by the way, if God wanted you to be unhappy, should you be unhappy? In other words, like, who are we? But do you really believe that's what, why God said this? Or do you think that the enemy is the one who's come to kill and steal and destroy? And so there are desires that we have that we should control, that we should avoid, that we should walk away from. The term for sexual immorality here is a general term for sex between unmarried persons, sexual contact, or any sexual activity that is not connected to God's design in marriage between a man and a woman. That's what it is. Sexual immorality is this overarching general term for all of that. So believers, you want to know God's will? Don't participate in sexual immorality. Don't be with someone or act like you want to be with someone who isn't your spouse. That's God's will for you. Your choice, do it or don't. But it's not about, well, I wonder how far is too far. Well, I I wonder how much too, too much flirting is too much. God's will for you is to walk away from sexual immorality. But Paul goes past that and says, what pulls us towards it? Well, he says our bodies pull it, our flesh, our humanity. And he says, your call is to control your body, to live holy and to live with honor. In other words, we have to learn to control the desires. I'm not saying you can turn them off. Sometimes, you know, someone comes with their same-sex attracted or whatever. Someone comes and their marriage is, is really, really in a hard place, but they're really attracted to someone else. I'm not saying you, can't, you should just turn those desires off. I don't know that you can. But I am telling you that you should walk by faith in what God has called you to do. And that's your choice. You choose to either say God is right or you say my desires are right. Right? He says, you know, you shouldn't live in lust. You shouldn't follow your heart like the pagans do. Why? Because they don't know God. We do, they don't. What Paul is saying here is essentially this. When you follow your heart, when you live by your lust, you essentially ignore God and let your desires be God. But if you know God, if you've given your your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, you should already know that he's right that he's good, that he's faithful. If he gave his son for you, what good thing is he going to hold back from you? And so if he says, don't do this, do you think it's because he's just trying to play a game of seeing if he could mess with you? Or do you think the God who gave his son for you is so passionate about your good that when he says, don't do this, it's because it's for your good, even if it seems like it's going to be missing out on something? Your choice is, will you walk by faith. Living as a believer is supposed to make you different. 
It's supposed to have an effect on every area of your life, even your sexual behaviors and attitudes. And Paul says, when we don't live like this, we wrong our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or worse, we live like God doesn't matter in, someone of, in front of someone who doesn't believe. He says, in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. You wound their souls. You, when it says take advantage of, what he's saying is you take from them for your own benefit. A God-filled worldview sees immorality as selfishly taking, whether the other person agrees to it or not. It, the, a God view says, when God says it's wrong, I'm actually pulling you into something that will pour out a harvest on you of death. That's selfish. And then he says, the Lord is watching, and the Lord will punish You put yourself in the place where God is going to bring discipline into your life. And because God is passionate about your good and about the good of those that you're going to hurt, He is going to do everything to make sure that you you see you need to move away from the thing that is pulling you in, from the lust. And so God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And if we reject this, if we shrug this off, it's not just like, oh, well, that's your view and this is my view. What Paul says is you are fighting against God Almighty, the one who saved you, the one who made you, the one who, who your hope is in, you are fighting against him. Believers, this is not a little deal. This is a really big deal. This is a battlefront on which our world is playing out. And as we get sucked into it, I wonder how aware we are of our calling in contrast to the way that the world lives. Because they will tell you, follow your heart. Jesus says, come follow me. Many times your desires are going to be different from his calling. You think when, when Paul laid down his life that his his physical desires were, I, I just wish I could go die. I wish I could suffer. I wish I could be brutalized. You think that Jesus' body was like, I, I, this is going to feel so good when he went to the cross? Of course not. There are callings in your life that will call you to give up physically what you'd like for spiritually what is good. This is almost generally true throughout your life. But our world doesn't adopt this at all. They make the physical the ultimate good, and the spiritual is, eh, take it or leave it. Paul says, this is what we were called for. This is what we were made for, not to be impure, but to live a holy life, to live as people given to Jesus Christ. So let's just take a few minutes and look at what else the Bible has to say about lust. Because a lust-driven life, living for whatever you want, used to justify your choice because of desire or attraction or whatever, what does the Bible say about that? I'm going to look at two categories. I'm going to look at pornography, and I'm going to look at extramarital relationships. Because they are two of the most basic lust-driven ways of living. Now, I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that those are worse sins than any other sin. There are times where people act like that. Sometimes because of the publicness of it, Because of the reputation of it, there are things that happen in those zones that don't happen in other places. If you have a problem with pride or if you have a problem with anger or whatever, it's a little different in the way that it has to be managed and handled. But you are not a worse person and you don't have a worse sin, but it's still sin and all sin brings destruction. So let's take a look at pornography quick. Today, the availability of free and anonymous pornography is overwhelming. We talked about 80% of women or excuse me, 80% of men and 25 to 30% of women addicted to pornography. 
And the questions come up, is this cheating? Is it cheating to look at porn? How about a single person? They're not cheating on anybody, right? And so we start to rationalize these things. Well, I'm not having sexual contact with anyone. But the question that I just, of, of what I just read, are you called to live pure or impure? Going to live holy or unholy? You called to live by lust or by faith? And by the way, if you're single, do you not understand that your behaviors and actions today, whether you know who you're going to marry or not, will have an impact on your future marriage? Do you not understand that? Are you so foolish as to believe that you can do whatever today and that there's no harvest coming for that? I hope not. Did you know regular users of pornography are more likely to suffer depression and poor physical health? It has actually a scientific effect on your physical and psychological well-being. There's actually an effect that was written about in Time Magazine in 2016, last year, called arousal addiction. Basically, in our over-porned world, they offer arousal on demand, but the result has become an inability to actually react to a sexual contact with a real-life person. Oh, we're so smart. In other words, you get to the place, and, and this is unadvertised because it doesn't make any money to advertise this, but you get to a place where you are so conditioned to need so much variety and so, much, so many images and so much whatever, and you are so programmed to be self-centered in it, that when it comes time to enjoy what God has given, you can't do it. You, there, you, are, you are disconnected from it. There is devastation down this path. And there are actually people who don't even believe in God who are recognizing the danger of this and speaking up on it. Let's talk about David for a second. Psalm 101, verse 3. David is somebody who firsthand knows the the dangers of sexual uh, misconduct. I mean, when we talk about his sin with Bathsheba and the the fallout on his life, as well as his his many wives, but David made a a Godward response to this. We're going to Uh, have later on a song that is about uh, his response when he fell into that sin. But here's what David said, you know, as he looked at his life. Psalm 101.3, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. I wonder if this is something God is asking you to embrace. I will have no part in what is wrong. I will not look at what is wrong. If I, if statistics are true, I'm talking to a lot of you who need to make that decision today. You need to start fighting the battle instead of excusing yourself from the fight. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. He said this, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I hope that that's pretty obvious from your Lord and Savior that looking at someone for lustful purposes, uh, you have, there is no place in your life as a believer for pornography, for nudity, for lust-stirring visuals. And, and the reason Jesus says that is because the people who lived by the law, well, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't had sexual contact, it's not really cheating, Jesus said, yes, it is, it's in your heart. You've betrayed your vows in your heart. You've stepped into impurity in your heart. Whether you've done it physically or not, Jesus says 
it's wrong. So is it or not? Folks, this is a real and deadly battleground. And I'm saying for our lost world, yes, but for believers, this is a deadly battleground. We can talk about young people and teenagers and singled, but it's a battleground for married people. It's a battleground for everyone. And because we're a family, we're all in this fight. So maybe today this isn't your particular fight, but there are people in front of you and behind you and sitting next to you that this is their fight. And they need us as a church family to stand up and fight this fight instead of pretending like it isn't a fight and letting Satan have his way to steal, kill, and destroy. The other lust-driven life that is real prevalent is immorality. And simply... When, when you talk about immorality in the Word of God, it's an overarching way of talking about sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. The Greek word is porneia, which includes all kinds of sexual behavior outside of marriage. It means pornography falls into that category. In fact, the word pornography comes from the Greek word porneia. But, folks, it also means sleeping together while you're dating falls into this category. It is God's will that you abstain from sexual morality. So if you are not married, you have no business having sexual contact with the person that you're interested in, period. Now, I'm not saying that's not a fight and a battle. I just don't want to hedge. I don't want to gray the area for you. So you're like, well, sometimes it's okay. No, it's not okay. And somebody needs to say it to you. And I'm saying it to you now. Because what I will tell you is, if you keep going down that path, everybody else can go down that path and you can think nobody else suffers anything from it. But I'm telling you, if you're a child of God, you are wounding your very soul by excusing something that God did not call you to. You need to live in purity. It means living together while you are unmarried falls into this category. So if you're a believer... And you're having sex with somebody and you're not married. God is saying to you, that should not be a part of your life. That needs to go. It means adultery, engaging in in a betrayal to whether it is emotional or relational or sexual outside of your marriage. Any romantic expression outside of your marriage is, falls into this category, immorality. Today, I think we are inventing daily new ways to be sexual outside of the bonds of marriage. And they're just all around us all the time. Christians, we are being flooded by it. But what I'd like for you to do is stop listening to all of that. Stop comparing your sexual experience and your sexual appetites to everybody else and give your life to Jesus who saved you, who died for you, who loves you, who invites you in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11 says this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, same word, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified. There's that word again. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What he says is this. Because the the believers in Corinth were interacting sexually with prostitutes. And they were saying, well, it's okay. We're Christians, we're believers, and we're part of this world, and we're forgiven, so it's okay. And Paul says to them, no, that's what you used to be, sexually immoral people. 
But you've been changed. You've been washed. You've been set apart. And so stop acting like what you used to be. Start acting like who you are. And the rest of the chapter, it actually ends up with the, you know, your body is not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to him. That's where it ends up. And the basis of that is you are acting in a way that is who you used to be, but isn't who you are anymore. Christians, I wonder if you realize that you are not that anymore that that is not for you, that that ruins your soul, that that affects every aspect of your life, and it is exactly opposite of the call God has placed on your life. Christians are called to live morally pure. It means setting boundaries, acknowledging that there are pathways that get you into trouble. You don't wait until the last minute. You set yourself some boundaries beforehand. It means putting sin to death. Colossians 3 says immorality is something we should be actively at war with putting to death. Romans 16 tells us we should not give ourselves the opportunity to live by our lust. We should kill the opportunity to live by our lust. And Ephesians 5.3 says this, Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. In other words, it shouldn't even look like you're being immoral. It means you don't spend the night at somebody's house, even if you're not having sex, when everybody would assume that you did. That's just an example. I'll let the Spirit take it further than that. But what I'm saying is, it's not just about being pure and living pure. It's also about the fact that people should not look at your life because you're so careless about how you're acting and think, well, they're just doing what everybody else does. It should be obvious that you are set apart from this. Not in a judgmental way, but in a faith-filled way. Before I close, I just want to mention this. This is about more than just right or wrong. When we think about sexual behavior and the way Paul talks about it, there's a sowing and a reaping, and there's a harvest of lust. And I want to say, in any relationship, there is a key element, and I talk about it in every premarital counseling sessions that I do. One of the key elements to any relationship is trust. It is even a key element in your relationship with God. Hebrews eleven six says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek them. What he says is, faith, trust, is the way that we are connected to God. It is the way we know God. It is the way we please God. And so when he tells us this is the best way for us to live, our trust, our faith, gets expressed in how we respond to what he says. When we don't, we live untrusting. And therefore, our relationship with God isn't all that it could be. But here's the other thing. All relationships are based on trust. And I will tell you, sexual behavior plays into trust. Is the person that you're with living in a lust-driven way? If they live lust-driven, it's going to be hard to trust them. Why? Because we pick up on self-interest. If someone is living for their own gratification, for their own selfish desires, it is going to be difficult for them to look out for you. And somewhere we know that that is dangerous for our soul. Trust, before you are married, trust is built by being trustworthy in the face of options to be otherwise. One of the most overlooked opportunities to build trust in your relationship on the pathway to marriage is to be able to control your desires sexually instead of gratifying it while you're dating. And here's why. 
If you excuse yourself, well, I'm just so attracted and we're just so in love, right? And you can't control yourself now. What makes you think you'll be able to control yourself after you're married? Oh, there's not going to ever be anybody you're ever attracted to again? And so it breeds doubt because we don't have the ability to deny ourselves. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to invite you to come back to trusting the Lord fully. To put this area in your life in God's hands. Do you believe God wants what's best for you? Do you believe he knows what is best? Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've made a big mess. Maybe the fallout in your life is more than you can even get your head around. Your options are keep living by lust or start living by faith. What are you going to do? We're going to close with a song today that is a prayer from David in that very spot.